If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today, Deb Stallings and I are going to have an incredible conversation about coaching. Before we get there, I have to share with you, this is the last episode that we are recording today. As you know, I like to batch record the podcast because I'm a little bit of an efficiency nerd, and so we've already done five. It's about 6 p.m. where I'm at, and I will share with you that this is always the best episode that I do every day. This is the point at which we let it all hang out. If you could see below the mic right now, you would see that my shirt tails are no longer tucked in to my pants, and we are just going to have an incredible conversation about coaching. Now, Deb Stallings is the principal and founder of Full Circle Coaching and Consulting. I also have to share with you that she started her consulting practice after a very successful fundraising career where she helped build institutions on the forefront of disability rights, gender justice, and LGBTQ equality. So as you can imagine, when I realized that she had rolled out of the nonprofit arena into consulting in the nonprofit arena, I was like, Deb, we got to get you on the podcast. So we are going to have a great conversation about a lot of the things that, frankly, she spends a lot of her time doing, coaching, leadership training, board development, the biggies. Now, let me just share a couple more things about Deb with you. The first is she is a trained co-active coach. And I will also share with you that she has an amazing spirit about her, which you are going to see just shine throughout this conversation. I just want to share with you listeners before we jump in that both Deb and I do a good little bit of coaching. And so I think we're probably both going to talk about coaching from our own experiences. And I also want to share with you that from my perspective, 
We see coaching a lot in the for-profit sector, but it's only recently really started to move to the nonprofit sector. And I think for a lot of people that are professionals in our community, they don't fully understand what coaching is or why. And so while I don't want this to seem like an intro conversation, to a great extent, Deb and I are really just going to be exploring Coaching 101. Hey, Deb, Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dolph. I am delighted to be here. I'm truly fangirl about you and your work with great nonprofits. So I'm really, really honored to be here. Well, thank you. I I will say the first time we spoke, I thought, oh my gosh, we have got to get Deb on the podcast. And I thought a great way for us to start our conversation is for our listeners to get to know you just a little bit because your path in the last year took a hard, unexpected left turn. It did, indeed. In a feat of remarkable timing, I left a career of almost 12 years, the LGBTQ Foundation in San Francisco called Horizons Foundation. It's the world's oldest and largest queer fund. And I loved my work there. But a few years ago, I started um, my road to co-active coaching. I had just finished a capital campaign and a $100 million legacy giving campaign there. And I felt like it was time to try new things. The big part of that plan was to travel. My partner is a leadership coach, and there's a lot of flexibility around where we can live to do our work. And so we had decided to travel. And on March 6th uh, was my last day at Horizons. And, you know, a week later, we were sheltering in place in San Francisco. So my, my future wife likes to tell people that I had two goals with leaving my work. One was to travel and the other was for us to spend more time together. And we have certainly gotten to do that. And I will say, you've certainly gotten to spend more time together, but you all also changed cities, I think. We did. We were in San Francisco and then in Napa for a couple of months, but her mom was really, um, her mom is 86 and was really the isolation of um, the pandemic had really had gotten to her. And so we came to Denver to support her and we were going to stay for a month. And now we've been here four months and we are headed back to the Bay Area, though, the end of this month. And we're excited about that. I also just need to reflect that one of the ways that I think you and I are really similar, even best case scenario, leaving March 6th, no pandemic. You were leaving a job where you'd been successful and you'd done a good job and you were taking a step of faith that, okay, I'm going to start something new. And the last time I had a permanent job, I was in a similar position. I mean, admittedly, as I often talk about, I was burned out at that point, but it was sort of the step of faith where I said, you know, I could probably keep doing this for a long time, even if I'm burned out, but instead I'm going to walk out there where I'm not sure what it's going to be like. And I'm going to build something really amazing that's going to take my life in a new direction. And I kind of feel like you did something really similar. It's true. I mean, I really decided that I have to practice what I preach. And in my coaching practice, you know, I encourage clients all the time to follow their dreams, to to speak those high dreams and plan towards those high dreams. And then you have to take the action. And for me, that was the action. And I loved my job at Horizons Foundation to work in the LGBTQ community with the most dedicated and talented professionals and our donors. I loved that work. But I knew there was something else that I was meant to do. And I also had been in the job for almost 12 years. And I think it was time to stop hogging the best job on the planet and and share it with someone else. 
that's what I decided to do. And I came to coaching in a very interesting time. I just also have to share with listeners that Deb is being phenomenally modest because Deb is perhaps one of the most successful fundraisers inside professional fundraisers inside the LGBTQ community. And she did amazing things at the foundation. And part of the reason I say she's being modest is when she decided it was time to leave, she could have rolled into the CDO position at any large national LGBTQ organization that was looking for a CDO. And instead, she took the step of faith. So Deb, one of the things I adore about you is you are so modest, but I, I just have to make sure listeners really understand that. Thank you, Dolph. Let's talk about coaching. When a professional or an executive is looking and thinking about coaching, what should they expect from the experience? Mm, that's a great question. They should expect to be challenged. I think they should expect to be uncomfortable. They should expect to face their own brilliance and their own beauty and their own talent in the world. No coach worth their salt is going to, you know, let you out of the immense discomfort of seeing yourself through other people's eyes and recognizing your own brilliance. So, and I think for lots of people, it's really challenging when we get reviews at work, you know, we go right to what's the negative part, you know, and it's so easy to believe the bad stuff that people say about you. And it's so hard to believe the really spectacular feedback that we get from folks. And it's also really tough on that negative stuff in the review. And this was true for me when I was a permanent employee. And at some level still is because like when I do an interim, Lexi actually does a review. So she she reaches out to staff who reported to me and board members and does a review. And it is so hard to not take that personally, even when it's not, when it's really just, hey, here's some ways you could do an even better job. We coach a lot on evaluations and things like that. And I say, it's a perspective. It's that person's perspective. It's not necessarily fact, right? It's their perspective. We have to give equal weight. So what is your sense of what people should be expecting from coaching in terms of work between sessions? In my experience, the transformation doesn't actually happen in the coaching session. The transformation happens as you take what you learn there or what you discover there and you put it into practice. We're big on homework in the co-active model, which I practice. It's all about the homework. It's all about how do you take what you've discovered here today and how do you start to implement that? Because that's where you have to grow the muscle. It's where you have to develop the new habit. So I think it's kind of different for each person. Each of my clients, we always have homework. There's often a challenge and you know, and I'm, I like to make a challenge that my clients say no to the first time because we make a challenge and they can yes, no, or counter offer. And I love it when they say that is cuckoo bananas. I'm not going to do that, but here's what I will do. So we really try to tailor that to each person's, you know, to their own schedules. You don't get, you know, marked down if you don't complete your homework. And oftentimes my clients don't even report back to me on their homework. I'll say, is there anything that you learned from the homework? They might want to talk about it, but I never say, did you do your homework? And so I'll share with you, and, and you and I do kind of have different approaches. I'm somewhat different in that and that I will often ask about it. And so as an example, if someone I'm coaching has been putting off a difficult conversation and they reach the point where they agree, okay, before we 
meet again, and typically I do it like biweekly. So before we meet again in two weeks, I'm going to have this conversation. I have a little notation of that. And when we sit back down, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so excited to hear how did the conversation go? Yeah. Well, I design accountability with my clients. So every time they accept homework or they accept um, a challenge, I'll say, okay, how do you want to be accountable for that? You know, I had someone who wanted to walk out and put her feet in the ocean. And so she texted me a picture of her with her feet in the ocean, you know? And so, yeah, I think it's important to design the accountability that feels right to the client. Absolutely. And are there other things that people should be expecting as they walk into a coaching relationship? You know, I started as a coactive coach. I I started going to the classes at the Coactive Institute, CTI, because my partner, this woman I had started dating, is a coactive coach and a leadership coach with 20 years of experience. And I just started going to classes because, you know, I needed to know what she was talking about. I would think that we're fighting and I'd say, are we having a disagreement? And she'd say, no, honey, we're just designing how we want to be around this. I didn't have that language. I didn't have that toolbox. So that's actually why I started going to CTI and taking classes there was to have this shared vocabulary. And I found there something that I'd never had in my 30 plus years of nonprofit management. I just kind of got this missionary zeal about bringing coaching to nonprofits. In the co-active model, we talk about doing and being. And the reason I think this is so important to nonprofits is that most of us are in the positions we're in at nonprofits because of some value system. Or something that we consider to be our life purpose. Hardly ever do you just accidentally wind up in a nonprofit organization. You're there because it's your heart's work. That's kind of the being of it. But I think that we get thrown into the nonprofit model and we kind of forget that because resources are tight and everybody's wearing 12 hats. And ultimately, it becomes about what we can do. Can we raise the money and fund this program? Can we make this event happen? And I think that nonprofit professionals, we often can lose the connection to the being part of that and why we're here. You know, I can't remember a time when I was a young nonprofit professional where I said, well, now, how is this in conflict with my values, right? Like, I just didn't have those kind of conversations. It was get her done. And so I love the opportunity that the coactive model has to nourish the nonprofit sector by keeping us connected to why we're doing this and what's important about the way we're being in that work. I agree 100%, and I love the value system that you're talking about, in part because it goes beyond just the value of the mission, like, oh, I believe in gender justice, or, oh, I believe in Black Lives Matters. It really is the value of okay, how within my own value system, if I have to have a difficult conversation with someone, how should I be having that conversation? Or if I have to make difficult decisions as the chief executive, how do I do that and still stay true to my values? I do that. Even when I made the decision to leave Horizons Foundation, which was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made, I didn't start by saying, okay, how do I want this to go? I started with, how do I want to be in this? And the word I came up with was graceful. Like I wanted my transition to be graceful and get really centered in 
the being of it and then the doing of it makes more sense, right? And of course, then you have to get strategic. You have to get tactical. But I just think that we spend so much time thinking like, oh, what do I want to say? And very little time thinking like, how do I want to be in this conversation? Well, I want to be direct. I want to be authentic. I want to speak for myself. And so like when we get rooted in our values, the being part of it, I think it really helps the doing part make more sense and ultimately a better outcome. Totally agree. And I'll say I actually will often use some role playing around those conversations and values just so people start to get comfortable with how they're going to say it. And if they don't quite say it the way they want when we're doing it, that's okay because, you know, like it's harmless to not say it quite the right way with me. So let me ask you, let's say we've got some folks out in our listening community and they're thinking, huh, maybe maybe I'd benefit from a coach. Maybe I'd benefit from some more values alignment or more balance or more fulfillment in my life and in my work. If someone's thinking about getting a coach, what should they be looking for in that individual who's going to be their coach? Well, I think the number one thing is rapport. It just has to be a good fit. That's why I offer chemistry sessions with folks. Um, If they're thinking of coming to coaching, we'll do some coaching to see if it works for them. Because not every client is, you know, the client that's right for you or the client that's right for me. They got to find the right fit. And I think there's a fair amount of um, self-reflection and self-assessment that goes into that. Like, are you ready to do the work? What do you hope to gain from the work? In my coaching practice, we establish outcomes. Are you really committed that these are the changes you want to make? Yeah, I think finding, finding the right fit and knowing the kind of coach that you want. There are relationship coaches and health and fitness coaches and There are career coaches who help you find new positions or a new tack on your profession. So yeah, knowing really what you're looking for. I like you. I also think that fit is just so critically important. You know, and I say this in almost all things, but you can't fix fit. And so from my perspective, if I was looking for a coach, I would probably talk to three, four, five more if I needed to, but I'd probably talk to three, four, five prospective coaches. And if there was something in my gut that was just like, "Mm, I don't think this person's the right person, even if everything else about them seems perfect. Oh my gosh, they've worked in my space. Oh my gosh, you know, they have this impressive client roster, whatever it might be, even if everything else seems perfect. If something in my gut's like, "Mm, I don't think this is the right fit. This is an area I'm going to trust my gut. And, you know, it's so interesting. I work with people who do work that is, I have no idea what they do. Like my partner works with, you know, people inside big tech companies and she's the most technologically unsavvy person you would ever hope to meet. But it doesn't matter. Like leadership principles are leadership principles. They go across all boundaries. I don't know anyone who wouldn't benefit from knowing who your inner leader is or learning how to recognize your saboteur and quiet your saboteur. Like who doesn't need that? So irrespective of the actual job, we're not there to coach them on the technical aspects of their job. We're there to help them develop their leadership skills and to develop their personal skills. You are so right. Like by the time someone is at a point in their career that they're getting a coach, they're probably already a subject matter expert. It's the other stuff that maybe they need a little bit of coaching and help with. But 
the subject matter, whether they're the CFO, the CEO, or the chief engineering officer, they probably already got that. Yeah. And people call it the soft skills. I mean, a lot of times people will say, one, I don't do performance improvement coaching. It's just, I just don't enjoy it. I don't want to. So if the company is going to pay somebody to get coaching, to improve their performance, that's not my, that's just not my cup of tea. But I do think that coaching skills are fundamentally great communication skills and they can impact every aspect of your life. And so, I mean, I just think that um, most people, irrespective of, I mean, I think people in transition, whether they're transitioning to a CEO job or, you know, they're just in some sort of new role that they haven't been in before. I don't think you need to be a CEO or even necessarily, I mean, I coach a lot of individual com- contributors. So th- that's a great segue to ask, who's your ideal client? My ideal client is someone who is intensely curious about themselves and really wants to understand what makes them tick and to really understand what's true about them. You know, I came to this work, you know, in late in life. My partner started this work 25 years ago. And what she learned her, about herself in that time had always been true about her and remains true today. What I learned about myself as I started this, my inner leader, my values, those things have always been true about me. And when you know what is true about you, it helps you know what's not true about you. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily believe the bad press because, you know, it's not true. You know when something is true about you. So I really look for people who are intensely curious. They, they're, they're curious about themselves and others. They want to know, well, why does it irritate me when people do that, right? They're probably stepping on some deeply held value you have or, you know, so I just love going through that process with so I'll share with you, I'm, I'm similar to you in that I often end up working with people that are in transition. So maybe becoming a CEO, whether it's for the first time or just another time, but in a new organization, or finding themselves in a real crisis, often an organizational crisis that feels like it threatens not only their career, but also, frankly, the well-being of their organization. And I've often found that that's coaching where people show up really motivated because either you're starting this new job and gosh, you want to succeed or you are facing a precipice and you don't want to end up over the precipice. So I've often found those are people who are really motivated. And so things like homework aren't really a big deal for them. They're like, what do I have to do to be able to tackle this challenge? Yeah, they are. I love that you you said that. They are highly motivated. You know, sometimes people come to coaching because they feel like they're in a rut or maybe they're just too comfortable. I find those people much more difficult to move, right? Because they are comfortable. But when someone is in change, like change is so hard for people. But when, when things are changing anyway, and they can't control that, they're much more likely to, you know, to recognize like, okay, things are changing. How am I going to cope with that? And being less resistant to change and, and more willing to really maximize the impact of that change. The other thing you and I talked about before we hit record is that our ideal clients are also not looking to us 
for consulting because we're serving as their coach and not looking to us as therapists because we're not licensed therapists. Right. I asked somebody that in my first class at CTI, we were in class all day, half a day on Friday and then all day on Saturday. And then on Saturday night, they said, okay, go home and coach someone. And I remember saying, well, that's malpractice, you know, <laughs> like, and I said, and I said, what's the difference between coaching and therapy? And Susan Carlisle, who is a shero of mine, looked at me and she said, are you a licensed therapist, honey? And I said, well, no, I'm not. She said, then it's not therapy, you know? <laughs> and I do think it's important that people have access to more than one modality. If a client gets into a topic that feels like, um, you know, more is needed, I think as a coach, we have to be completely comfortable with emotion and the CTI model that's called process coaching. You really just help people stay in it. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to fix. There's nothing to fear from emotion. But I think you need, you know, when it's a therapy, when it's a therapy topic. And I often refer that, you know, sometimes working with clients in the nonprofit sector, they often, you know, want advice. And so I think that's an area that we have to tread, you know, really carefully. I will do consulting and some of my consulting is very coach-like, right? But it's not a pure coaching relationship because if I'm the consultant, you know, I have an agenda for you, right? If I'm your coach, I have no agenda for you. I hold your agenda. And so that's, you know, those things can get, um, you have to be careful there, I think, to be able to hold more than one relationship. And sometimes they'll ask a direct question and I'll say, okay, look, I'm going to answer this as a consultant, not as your coach. Right. Because every now and then your coaching client will turn to you and say, well, I just, I just need you to tell me what I should do. And we often find ourselves in that difficult space where we have to say, you know, this is about you understanding on your own what you need to do and not about me just going, oh, you should do X, Y, and Z. That might work for me, but it might not work for you. Right. Well, and that's what I tell people too. You know, if I'm your coach, I'm helping you grow skills. I'm helping you grow new skills, grow your muscles. So if you're the consultant, you come in, you ask me a question, I give you the answer, you know, and you go away. But as your coach, I don't want you coming back and asking me the same questions. I want you to learn to get the answers from yourself. And so I think it's very different and they can be compatible for sure, but it's important that the client recognizes the difference in the roles. Right. And so let me ask you in the nonprofit space, are you doing coaching with CEOs, CDOs, everybody? Who are you primarily doing coaching with? Coaching, I'm mostly doing, I love emerging leaders. And so folks who are new to an ED role, or someone who's coaching their organization through times of change, which pretty much is everyone right now. One of the areas I'm really focusing on right now in nonprofit is it's really grief, right? I mean, we're all grieving something. Some of us are grieving the loss of loved ones, um, but we're all grieving like the loss of community. Like I miss hugs. I miss hugs so much. And then lots of organizations are facing real financial crisis. And that's just heavy for people. I'm not in my coaching. I'm not, you know, helping them 
avoid financial crisis, but helping them hold their responsibility and hold the weight of that. In my consulting practice, I'm doing the other piece of it, but nonprofit organizations on the whole just don't invest in uh, nourishing our, our staff. And it's our number one resource. It's our most significant resource. And we just don't invest in the people who are doing the work. So I will coach a nonprofit leader on pretty much any level. I love that. And I'm in full alignment with you that as a sector, we don't do a good job of investing in people. And then we scratch our heads and we wonder why we don't have the people we need and why we have such high attrition in our organizations and why the nonprofit sector, typically most people work in it for 10 or 15 years and leave. And development directors, you know, two years and then they're gone and then two years and then they're gone. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I actually started to refer to it as this when I was a development director. I would sometimes go into my executive director's office and say, I need to have a conversation with you about the care and feeding of your development director. (laughs) And it was sort of a funny way to start the conversation, but it was just, you know, there were points, there were sometimes that I have to be like, I'm not getting what I need to get you what you need. So, And I mean, that takes a courage and a maturity that many people, especially young in their careers, they just don't have, Right. I mean, that's a gift. You gave that executive director a gift. But if we teach people earlier in their careers, like how to stand for themselves, how to know what they need, how to be nourished in their jobs, I just think it's such a gift to our industry. I also just have to reflect as I look back on that. At the time, I was working for an executive director who felt very secure in who they were and was okay being in a place where they might be vulnerable. So I might not do that with every executive director on the planet, but she was someone who I really could just go in and jokingly say, let me talk to you about the care and feeding of your development director. And then we'd have a heart-to-heart conversation. And, you know, it's not like I would get absolutely everything I wanted, but I got enough so that I could do the work that was necessary. Well, Deb, I have to share with you I just looked down at the clock, and I know this has been a great conversation because we're like 33 minutes in and not even done the -the off-the-map question. So I'm going to zoom us through the -the off-the-map question here. I understand, Deb, that you and apparently the CIA spy Julia Childs have something in common, and it's not the CIA. (laughs) It's true. It's not the CIA. It's not. Well, she made much more of her training than I have, but we've both been to cooking school in France. And I actually did go to the CIA cooking school in France. So you can't say I'm from the CIA. I love it. I love it. So so tell me about your cooking school experience. Oh, it was amazing. Um, it was last summer. Uh, my partner and I went to the UK to meet up with friends in London And they were then going to Bath and I had been to Bath before and didn't want to go. So I took the channel and took the train through the channel and went to Paris for five days and enjoyed some of the most physically demanding days I have ever had. But it was a ton of work. It was so fun to be in a purely experiential learning, like nothing I ever done before completely vulnerable, 
completely scared of, you know, the very, the toked up chef, you know, at the CIA, who's trying to get me to curl the chocolate ribbons just right. It was wonderful. It was exhilarating. So I have to ask, what cooking skill or what dish have you brought back and you still make? I have much better knife skills now, I will say. I hardly ever, you know, cut the tip of my finger off anymore because I was taught to bend my fingers back as I'm chopping. So I particularly enjoyed that skill. I have not made croissants since I've been home, though, I have to say. I kept thinking during COVID it would be my opportunity, but not yet. So my husband and I, not in Paris, but my husband and I took a knife skills course at our local, like, cooking store or cook warehouse store kind of a thing. Oh my gosh, what a difference that made in my ability to prep. I actually know how to use a set of kitchen knives now and can, like, literally I can take apart a chicken and I learned all this in 90 minutes. I can take apart a chicken. I can debone a chicken. I know how to cut like 48 different types of vegetables and do it in a way that's efficient and effective. You want me to dice a tomato now? I'm actually going to be able to dice a tomato. So Deb, because before we did this, if you wanted me to dice a tomato, you would have ended up with tomato sauce. Like, literally, I just would have squashed the thing all to pieces and been frustrated. So that had to be, five days of that had to be such a great experience. It was super fun. It was really great. I loved it. Can't wait to go back. We're actually going to Paris next year on our honeymoon. Oh, so oh that's right. Maybe we'll, we'll do a cooking class together. You all are getting married in, in June. That's right. So I will also share with you, my husband loves to cook, and he's the one that typically will have us do cooking classes as date nights. And at first, I was somewhat resistant and reluctant, but I, I have actually learned to really enjoy them, and I learned something. So yeah, that'd be a great honeymoon activity. Yeah, we, we've done it. When we travel, we often take a cooking class, and we love it. That's awesome. Deb, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been a great conversation. I am hoping that a lot of our guests have learned more about coaching. And if they're finding themselves in a difficult spot and have been thinking about coaching, I'm hoping this gives them some ideas about what to look for in a coach and really what to expect out of coaching. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Dolph. Thank you. Listeners, I need to make sure that you know how to get a hold of Deb Stallings. And it's pretty simple. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to debstallings.com. Once again, debstallings.com. And she is making an incredible offer for our listeners. The first three listeners that go to her website and register for a co-active discovery series will get that for free. And what a co-active discovery series is, is it's three coaching sessions that will help you assess your satisfaction in different areas of your life and figure out where you want to make changes. That's an incredible offer. So gosh, it, I hope you're one of the first downloaders of this podcast and you go right up there. But even if you've waited a day, still go to debstallings.com and check out what she's doing. Deb, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Dolph. It was a real pleasure. And I just appreciate so much what you do for the nonprofit community. You're a real treasure. Thank you. Listeners, if you were Googling flights to Paris in July, because we're all hoping the pandemic's over by next July, and wow, what a great first trip after the pandemic. 
Keep on looking for those tickets on Delta and American because you know that you can always go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and there you will get Deb Stallings URL. Although this is one of those that's not that hard. It's DebStallings.com. Finally, listeners, I just want to remind you that if you happen to be listening on an iPhone or on a Droid, you can use Siri or OK Google to subscribe to this podcast. Literally, all you have to do is say, hey, Siri, subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits podcast. So it's super easy. If you've not already subscribed, subscribe. And if you have subscribed, then please go ahead and rate and review us on your streaming app of choice. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And after an appropriate few seconds of pause, I'm now going to give you the show's disclaimer. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. I know this is going to sound like a shocker, but this podcast is really produced for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. And this, dear listeners, is going to sound like a double shocker. If you think that's what you might need, I would suggest that you go to Google and you start to look for some reputable, licensed people. I'd also suggest that you reach out to your network and just see who they might know. And of course, you could always reach out to me. I'm fortunate that I know a ton of people and I'm always happy to make connections.